Hi, I'm Bug and I'm small. Hi, I'm Craig and I'm tall. And welcome to Small and Tall, a podcast that I don't normally do the intro. I went way too foolhardy into this bit. I kind of forget what we say. Uh, We're two best friends cover movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't normally be covered on permanent good. Almost. You got it. Good enough. Okay, close enough. (laughs) Um, But this month, we are covering nostalgic book movies and not like nostalgic book movies like hunger games who cares nah this month we are watching holes bridge to terabithia hoot and zathura and i think i've read three out of the four of these books i think the only one i haven't read is zathura i didn't read any of them what none of them none of them that's wild because okay okay by the time everybody our age was reading these books i was like reading twilight oh yeah so... i forgot freaking nine thousand iq over here just oh, you know shut up couldn't handle our measly picture books that we hey, were reading in elementary school i did go back and read the percy jackson series when we got to like sixth grade though but i didn't I don't think I finished Sixth it, grade but. is a normal time to read those books, though. Exactly. So like, so, like, I was back on the train by then. Yeah, so... But that was because uh, I got shamed, because <laughs> our English teacher told me that I wasn't smart enough to read The Book Thief, and I was like, uh, bitch, my exile level is way above The Book Thief. Shut up. Yeah, crazy, wild, how unfortunate. Anyway, um, <laughs> I... Uh, all the bo- all the books that we are watching the movie adaptations for, the ones that I did read, I don't think I actually personally read all of them, but they were all books that were read to us in elementary school. And so, like, once a day, we would go to the carpet and, you know, my fourth grade teacher, I think my fourth grade teacher read us Holes. I don't, I think she also did Bridge to Terabithia. I'm but I think, jealous. Like, my fifth, I think my fifth grade teacher did Hoot. Um... And I'm jealous that's, because that's we all. read depressing books in fourth grade. I think, and we also read, that was also the year we read James and the Giant Peach what? and Hatchet. What? You know what? We we read Hatchet, but you know what else we read in fourth grade and everything? What? Where the red fern grows. There was this one about this little kid who was an orphan and had like was left on his own and wanted to be like a trumpet blue star or something and all he had was his suitcase we read and we read i'm pretty sure that movie is called august rush no uh win dixie i also we also read because of win dixie yeah so we read all of the depressing books while you guys got the fun ones i did we also read shiloh i think that was yeah because that year was like all the dog books where the dogs die and they were like they just wanted to see us cry (laughs) they wanted us to feel emotion for once in our decrepit lives as if we aren't fourth grade sensitive little babies uh i think we also read the tale of how many books did we read in fourth grade because i also remember reading the tale of despero uh we didn't read that but i feel like if we would have that would have been third grade not fourth grade yeah, I just, I remember my third grade teacher reading, like, um, God, it wasn't the Boxcar Children. It was another one. That it was, was like, like the gla- first and second grade. It, no, my third grade teacher read, like, The Happy Family or something like that. Like, the the family name had happy in it somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, the, you know, these old, like, 
Wizard of Oz era books. Like, you know, the ones I'm with, like the weird kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. pseudo leather covers. Like, mm. interesting. We had very different elementary experiences, even though we went to elementary school in the same town. Yeah, same district. Same district. Just not the exact same school. Nope. Um, But, you know, we're not here to talk about books. Ugh. We're here to talk about movies. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with Holes, the 2003 classic with Shia LaBeouf, Sigourney Weaver, and John Voight. As always, Small and Tall is an all-spoiler, free-fire, just... No holds barred. We're gonna we're gonna talk about them, and we're gonna talk about them hard. Dig it up, dig it now, up. Oh, this movie's intro slaps way harder than it has any right to. <laughs> like the music, the song for the intro of this movie is so good. I agree. It goes. They went hard for us, and they didn't have to do that. Yeah, and in general. This movie is better than I remembered it. Like, yes. I remember kind of being like, because I haven't watched this movie since we watched it in class after reading the books, or the the singular book, rather. And I just kind of was like, <laughs> I already watched this movie at when we read the book. Like, you couldn't have given us some time to, like, separate ourselves so we're not just watching the same plot again. And right. so the, the movie was kind of boring when I watched it the first time. Like, cool, they're in a desert. Snore. Um, but rewatching it, I, I, I liked this movie. I, I don't want to say I like this movie a lot, but I like this movie. This movie is actually a good one. It makes me cry and it makes me really angry like it infuriates my inner social worker so yeah. much but because credit where credit's due it's very good it is it is good um if you've made it this far and you're not familiar with the plot of holes shia labeouf shia labeouf plays this kid named stanley yelnats the fourth yes yelnats is stanley backwards <laughs> who gets uh, accused of stealing some shoes and is given the choice between going to jail or going to this camp for 18 months where he digs holes every day, digs one hole every day. And he chooses the camp because he's like, I've never been to summer camp before. And first of all, let's talk about him being accused of a crime that he didn't commit because what a shoddy court process Honestly. was that? It was such crap. Like, that was... No. No. Somebody who didn't know anything about the court system wrote that scene. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the evidence that they had was these were... He had the shoes and the shoe... And he was a fan of the athletes whose shoes they were. And that was it. <laughs> And I'm like, sure, is the circumstantial evidence there? Yeah. But if he was like, the shoes fell off a bridge, I liked them, and I walked with them. Like, come on. He's he is 13 years old. Literally. And like, all, all those kids who were there, I was like, they really screwed most of y'all over, didn't they? Yeah. And so they take Stanley to this camp and... Right off the bat, man, this is going to be a theme, at least for this movie in Bridge to Terabithia, where, like, 
bullying for the sake of bullying. Oh God! I just I it it makes me cringe more than anything else because it comes especially in this movie where it kind of feels like the bullying was purely based in malice. Where, like, they were mean just because they could be. And I'm like, I just, I don't like that. Especially, I don't like that in a person. And I like it less in a character. Like, it makes well, sense. Like, th- there's a bunch of kids essentially in jail. Yeah, they're troubled and, youth, so they have to be bullies because they're troubled. Yeah. So, I've and like, oh, fresh meat, let's pick on the new guy. Is it's, it's kind of a tired trope, and I'm not a fan. Like, eventually they warm up to him, and there's a sense of camaraderie amongst all of them. But that doesn't happen for, like, 90 minutes. Yeah, it's almost the entire movie. Yeah, so there's just this long stretch where... There's no end in sight. There's a hopelessness in this movie that I think is done on purpose and it's yeah. done very well. But there are it just comes across in kind of aggressive manners that isn't particularly fun to watch. Well, I think that like honestly, Stanley had way more patience than I would have because he was like, oh, Yeah, for sure. Here you can have this so that you can get a day off even though, you know, I'm the one who found it because if you find something that like looks interesting or is pretty or can help the warden figure out what she's trying to figure out, then you get the day off. And he also is like just like covering for people when they tried to get him in trouble, even though they were the ones who did it. And I'd be throwing punches like I'd be like, for sure. And (laughs) and then not to mention all of this is. I'm going to say kind of clunkily intertwined with flashbacks that we are not told are flashbacks. We just kind of have to pick up on context clues Yeah, where Dulé Hill is romancing this school teacher. And then I'm going to tell it to you all in one bit where Dulé Hill is this peach farmer who falls in love with a school teacher and they, you know, they fall in love. He's an onion farmer. What? He's an onion farmer. She's the one with the peaches. She's the peach. She's the one with the peaches. You are correct. He's an onion farmer. She does peaches. It's relevant, I promise. And after they fall in love, the town is like, we don't like this. Because if you didn't know, Dulé Hill is in fact a black man. And so it's like turn of the century, 1800s, 1900s. They're like, we don't want, you know, an interracial relationship. So they burn down her school and hang Dulé Hill or at least sentence no, him sh- to death. They shoot him. Yeah, okay. And she is uh surprisingly not cool with that, the school teacher. So she becomes an outlaw and just like she starts holding up uh cargo shipments and just like travelers takes their money kisses them and kills them that was what was her name like kissing Kissing kate Kate barlow kissing kate barlow she would kiss her victims and then shoot them and so what i just told you was you know spliced throughout the modern story but again it wasn't like 100 years ago it would just cut to that scene and we're like who are these people is that how they did it in the book or was it yes. more distinct? 
I actually had a conversation with a coworker about this uh, because he said he was also confused in the books because Ooh. they they did not separate. They didn't like give that context or establishment. It was Ooh. just the chapter would begin, new character names, new story, and I'm like, ew, yeah, not not the greatest method of storytelling. That's like Wattpad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and like, I liked that. I liked that story they were telling. It was just the fact that they, it felt a little junky. Yeah. Janky. Little janky. Little, little just like thrown in there. So yeah. So you didn't really catch the weight of it until the end. And you're like, oh, so that's what all that meant. So it was important all along. Um, I really liked, even as a kid, I liked the relationship between Stanley and Zero. Oh my god, I, I love it. Yeah, very just very like older brother younger brother dynamic. Big fan of that. Yeah. Uh and they do a good job of maintaining that like throughout the whole movie. Cuz Zero doesn't talk. Zero talks to nobody. They all think he's stupid. They all like totally like treat him like garbage. They are aggressive in how they think he's stupid. Because like you can think you can think someone's stupid, and like you could be passive aggressive and just be like you can be like, oh, I can get that for you if you think you can't handle it. But like, no, they're like, hey, zero, you're stupid. Literally, and it made me that makes me so angry the entire time. I just want to start throwing punches into of zero but like, and it's the fact that it's not the kid like the kids will tease him about it yeah. but they had a psychologist who for you know for the audience purposes who we think is a certified doctor psychologist and he just looks at zero and be like you're gonna amount to nothing you piece of stupid garbage but in like, all actuality he's Pretty smart, other than the fact that he doesn't know how to read, which Stanley helps him out with, but he only talks to Stanley, and I thought that that was, like, that was a solid start for them. I really liked how that they had that little character dynamic where he was like, I'm only going to talk to you, possibly because I have a big secret, because I know why you're here, but, like, also, <laughs> hey, friend. Yeah. Also... I know we're nitpicking a lot here, but the, one of the plot twists is that Zero was the one that stole the shoes that Stanley got arrested for. First of all, Zero was at the camp first, and it looked like he was there for a minute. Like, he's been there a while. Yeah. And so, two, if they got arrested for the same crime, how come Zero got to camp months before Stanley did and see how come Stanley got there at all if they got zero because no because zero was there for stealing shoes from payless not from payless yes the you're actual right, you're shoes right. but yes. also also you know why zero was there first plot reasons because Stanley's white oh yeah you're right okay fair enough you're right <laughs> um and there's also this subplot of, listen, <laughs> if you thought the Dulé Hill subplot was a little confusing, let me tell you about the Stanley ancestor plot. Because oh, that one's boy. wild. <laughs> this one was a lot easier to tell was a flashback because they set it up narratively. 
yes. where like Stanley's grandpa is telling the story or Stanley's telling the story where his where his great grandfather, his grandfather's dad was like trying to marry this girl. And his and her, this girl's father was like, she already has an offer. You know, this guy is giving me his fattest pig. And so he's like, all right, then I will get you an equally fatter pig because I am clearly the better mate. So if I just, you know, give you something of equal value, I will obviously be the person she chooses. Or, like, I'll at least be the sensible choice. And so she go, and so <laughs> Stanley's great-grandfather goes to, like, a like a fortune teller, almost like a witch. Mm-hmm. And she's like, listen, I'll, th- I'll give you a fat pig. You have to carry this pig up the mountain, dunk it in a river, sing a lullaby to it, and then it'll grow fat. But after you do that, don't forget to also carry me up the mountain and do the same thing for, I don't know, because she wanted it, I guess. And so... So that she can go strong. He does... So he does all that, gets a pig of equal fatness, does not get chosen by the girl, and therefore does not carry said woman up the mountain, and a curse is put on the family, quote-unquote. If you think that this is the most pedantic story ever, <laughs> you're a little correct. <laughs> well, but it all comes around in the end... Because then, you know, okay, so Stanley and Zero escape from the camp because Zero runs away first because the guy who's the psychologist was like harshing on him and was like, D-I-G, what's that spell, Zero? And he Zero smacks him upside the head with the shovel in my favorite scene in the entire movie and goes, dig, and then runs away. And so they're in the desert running away because after that Stanley's like I gotta go find Zero after he crashes a truck it's a lot I know I'm skipping a lot but they get they find each other and they start walking up this mountain and then Zero starts getting sick from dehydration so Stanley carries him on his back only for us to then either right before that or after that find out that his last name is Zeroni so therefore he is an ancestor of Madame Zeroni who was the one who put the curse on Stanley's family. So him carrying Hector or Zero up the mountain was him carrying Madame Zeroni up the mountain and then it breaks the curse. There's like four different pop- plot lines in this movie. <laughs> this movie is about digging holes, let me remind you. <laughs> um, Sigourney Weaver is also hot in this. I mean, she's in this movie where she plays the warden because she, she is the ancestor of the final victim of Kissing Kate Barlow. And Kissing Kate Barlow had a bunch of treasure that she had accumulated that she buried in the dried up lake. And Sigourney Weaver's grandfather owned the lake. But after the lake dried up, they lost their fortune. So their only means of you know income was to try to dig up the treasure that was buried somewhere in the lake. And I think I'm, God, I think maybe the biggest problem with this movie was how stuck in the past it was. Like, half of this movie takes place in the past, which I don't think is necessarily a problem in general. It's just a problem for this movie. I just think it's because they tried to interweave four different plot lines with the past. And, like, four different generations of plot lines. Yeah. So I I think just because like we were expecting 
a simple movie about a kid who digs holes. And then it turns out to be multi-generational curses and like there's just a little bit more complexity to this movie than I think I was expecting as a kid. And even now, um, because there, and there are also things that I solely remembered from the book. Like when they dig up the treasure at the end of the movie, the treasure is like, I don't know if it's guarded or if it's just there, there's like a nest of poisonous lizards and the reason why the poisonous lizards don't attack Zero or Stanley is because they had eaten onions on the mountain the night before. And the lizards were, like, repelled by the onions. They don't say that in the movie. There's an offhanded line where John Voight is like, you guys got onion breath or something like that. But it's not it's not in relation to the lizards. It's just me having read the book a dozen years ago. I was like, huh. Oh, yeah, that's important for some reason, isn't it? I didn't know that. I thought it was just because the thing had Stanley's name on it. So they were like, it belongs to him. No, it's because they ate onions. They were repelled by the onions. That's why. Yeah, that's why Dulé's whole thing was the onions. Huh. Uh, Yeah, so this movie, like I I know we've been ragging on it a lot, but this movie is cool. There are some really interesting character dynamics. Like, the dynamic between Stanley and Zero is really cool. Um, I There's a really cool scene with uh, Stanley and Sigourney Weaver's character and John Voight's character where they're all in the warden's cabin. And uh, Sigourney Weaver goes on this monologue of, like, why it's important to be digging the holes and kind of, like, establishing herself as a threat where she puts on poison nail polish and then just scratches John Void across the face. Like, that's a really cool scene. Yeah, that is honestly one of my favorite scenes in this movie, even though she then turns out to be a total... Not good person? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, because I think her character arc through this movie is actually the really cool, just from, like an, from an audience perspective. Because... She starts as she's introduced as kind of like um, the good boss, right? Where John Voight, this entire movie has been a hard ass. And then Sigourney Weaver shows up and she's like, hey, I really appreciate you digging these holes. And I'm glad that you found this cool thing for me. You should go fill up their water bottles again. Like, I know you just filled them up, but fill them up again. Just make sure that, the, you know, they are as full as possible. And then she's on the site every day, making sure that everything's running smoothly. You know, the kids are working hard, but they're not overexerting themselves. And then, like, over the course of the movie, she just, like, you see these little cracks of her being a little bit more malicious and a little bit more malicious. You know she's the bad guy for a while, but, like... Watching that kind of de-evolution was interesting to see. Yeah, because like it gets worse and worse as the kids aren't finding what she wants to find. And she's like getting impatient with it because she's been digging these holes since she was little, even on Christmas Day. I'm tired of this, Grandpa! Well, that's too damn bad! And that's where that comes from, And that's where friends. that's... Also, the Dulé Hill gif of him going, I can fix that. I can that. fix that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so attractive. He's so handsome. He is. He's yeah, so he really handsome. Is. Man, the fact that he's in 
two very good television shows that we can just go back and watch for the rest of time. Love it. Like, yeah. Love that for us. I think this is a 6.75. I'm going to give this one a solid 7, I believe. Yeah. I, I went into this thinking of thinking of flat 7, but I think the complexity of it does kind of overexert itself just just a skosh. So I, I think a 6.75, maybe like a simpler, more s- streamlined version of this movie might score higher. Where it was a little more focused on the characters now rather than before. I think this movie was ahead of its time in speaking out against how awful wilderness camps are for quote-unquote juvenile delinquents. Did you ever watch Kid Nation or anything about Kid Nation? I have read about it, but I didn't watch anything about it. But I just, you know, thinking about, you know, kids getting kidnapped in the middle of the night to go to these places in the middle of nowhere where they get a backpack and have to, like, make fire and wear the same clothes for six weeks. And God, that's awful. Yeah. It's horrible. I do not have a single survivor's bone in my body. You breathe on me too hard and I submit. But... I so like I cannot imagine going through like Boy Scouts. No thanks. Too much outside. Holes. No thanks. Too much outside. <laughs> and for some reason, people get it into their heads that this is going to fix these kids who are acting out and probably just need some therapy. But no, they're like, we're going to put you in the middle of nowhere and make you even more angry at the world because you're here instead of being in a place where people should be caring about you. But, you know, that's a rant for another time. But I, th- I think you got most of it out, if I'm being honest. <laughs> oh, I, could, I could go on. I could, oh, I, I know you can. I could go on I... and on. But I think that it was definitely ahead of its time in that. But also... I just, the storyline, it kept you, even with all of the going back and forth from the past and the present, it kept you intrigued for all of it, even though they're just sitting there digging holes. Like, they made it interesting. So, that's, it gets a solid seven for me. For sure, definitely. Bridge to Terabithia. You did it. You got it out. Yeah, how, I don't even know where to start with this one. I didn't want to start this one because it makes me cry every time. I think this movie is notorious, at least for our generation, for being like one of the first movies that they cried at. And uh, this movie is like you when you go into this movie, if you don't know that it gets emotional. Boy, are you caught off guard? It kind of comes out of nowhere is what I'm saying. Like, the movie, 80% of the movie is kind of like this happy-go-lucky, coming-of-age, embracing imagination type story. And then you get hit with this hard left turn out of, let me be clear, absolutely nowhere. There's, like, no foreshadowing to it. There's There's a little bit. There's no, like oh, wow, we should be worried about this today. Like, there's none of it. It's just, it's, it's, it just happens. So let, let, let's let back up before we get into that. So Bridge to Terabithia is a movie about Jesse, who is played by Josh Hutchinson, and this girl 
moves in to town, moves next door, is his neighbor. Her name is Leslie. And they start off kind of, you know, bickering, you know. He doesn't want to be friends with her, but she eventually warms up to him. Or, you know, he warms up to her. And they become very close friends. They find this place in the woods where they can kind of let their imagination run wild. They have to swing across a rope to get there. And this is Terabithia. And that's kind of the movie is them having dealing with stresses in real life and then turning that into their playground in Terabithia. Yes. And it's like... I absolutely love how it encapsulates, like, the childhood imagination because I remember practically doing the same thing with my friends and even when I would play outside on my own. Like, I had this whole world that we made up in our heads and that we were, you know, fighting against all these creatures and all that stuff. And it was it's just very nostalgic of better times of being a small yeah. child. I think this is just a very nostalgic movie. I don't Hence think why it's on the list. I, yeah. I don't think this movie is particularly great in most aspects, but I think it I think it cap it purposefully captures the feeling of nostalgia. Like it it showcases the here and now for kids, but I also think it's like, hey adults, remember when you used to do this too? Like, it does yeah. both of those things very well. Now, I just want to say real quick, Leslie is, like, as probably most people's our age's introduction to the concept of a manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> I was about to say that. boy, does she fit that bill to a T. <laughs> oh, my God. I was literally just about to mention that. Because she's a mysterious girl that moves in from out of town. Eccentric. Eccentric, super cool, kind of like an outlier, doesn't fit in with everyone else, but she understands you perfectly. She laughs at all your jokes, you know, clicks really well with you. There's good chemistry between the two of you. Like, textbook definition of a manic pixie dream girl. And you know what? A trope's a trope for a reason, because my God, did it work. Absolutely did it work. And I... This is where this movie, the bullying in this movie just made me angry because it was so obvious and the bully in the movie literally terrorized every single person at that school, yet no teacher did anything at any time. For any reason. And like, because at the, towards the end of the movie, you know, they bring up, like, oh, it's a bully with a troubled past. You know, she lashes out here because, you know, she she gets abused at home. And so they're, they're giving her, like, a justification for it. But there's still, like, eight other bullies at the school that they don't do that for. Literally. Like, these kids are awful. And so <laughs> there's a scene where... Jesse and Leslie are finally getting back at this main bully. What's her name? Like Janice or something. Um, and so they decide to write a note to her as her crush. Very Heathers. And she is like, oh, 
crush, you really like me? And he's like, no, you suck. And so she starts crying about it, which, like, fair. Um, And even as they're writing the note, like, you don't have to see this movie before. You don't have to see Heathers to know exactly where that's going. And as an adult with empathy, I'm like... Kids, I know you think this is a good idea, but I promise you it is not. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. But, so they go get to go to this world across the creek um, that they've created for themselves, and they've built a treehouse in, and they fight all these creatures because they're, like, you know, the defenders of Terabithia, and they're there to set the people free from these attackers, and it's this cute stuff, but... They have to swing across this rope, right? And right before everything goes to crap, it starts raining. And you see, like, the rope kind of, like, dips a little lower than normal when they're swinging across. And then they get back home, everything's good. And then something really that I think is kind of highly inappropriate happens. Yeah. Yeah, so... I think it is inappropriate. I I remember it differently when I first saw it. Like, in my recollection of this movie, this was like a straight-up grooming moment. It's not that extreme. It's it's just uncouth. But also, like, if if Zoe Deschanel was my music teacher and asked me to hang out with her at a museum on a Saturday all alone, I'd say yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Zoe Deschanel is their music teacher, which, like, hello, Zoe Deschanel, for your second unplanned appearance. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, she's like, hey, Jesse, I know you like art. I was going to go to the museum with my nephews, but they bailed. Do you want to go with me? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he thinks about inviting Leslie, but decides against it. Like, no, this is just kind of a me thing. And then that's, like, the main purpose of his guilt for the rest of the movie because while he is at this museum leslie goes to terabithia by herself she swings she tries to swing across the rope the rope you know either breaks or doesn't make it all the way across or whatever regardless yeah she falls into the river and hits her head and just straight up dies and And gets to come home and be told hey your friend's dead just straight up, just like that. Like, uh, because Jesse told his family, or like, he told his mom, hey, I'm kind of going on this field trip. And, but he tells it to his mom while she's still pretty much asleep. So no one knows where he is, and they are worried sick about him. He walks through the door. They like erupt in relief. And so there's like five seconds of, we were so worried about you, also, Leslie's dead. Which is a lot to handle. Yeah, a lot. And where I start tearing up. But not where I start crying, just where I start tearing up. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense because the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes of this movie is watching a child go through grief. And you see each stage of it very distinctly. They don't, like, label it, but, you know... He is like, no, you guys are lying to me. I don't believe you. He And then you see the anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. You see all of that. Man, dude, when he punches that kid, I 
was so on his side. Me too. I would have done the same thing. I would have done a lot faster than he did, though, because he thought about it for a second. I would have just swung. Yeah, like it would have been an instinct. There were people Um, that I wanted to swing on in 2018 when I had my big loss. Like there were people who would say some shit to me or text me some shit. And I was like, if you were right in front of me right now, I'd smack you across your freaking face. And these kids just have no, like they're old enough to understand when someone dies don't be a dick about it. Literally. But there are several kids who choose to anyway. And I'm like, you need to be taught a lesson. Like, maybe, like, this needs to be a turning point for you. This punch is going to signify a turning point in your life when 15 years from now you can tell your kids, I was a dick until someone sh- until someone proved me what was doing. Exactly. That sentence didn't make any sense, <laughs> no. but you know what I meant. Exactly. We we know Craig speak now. Um. Yes, yeah, and her funeral is when I cried, oh, like for real. Yeah, yeah. I cry there, and then I cry when his teacher takes him out after he punched the kid, and like expresses yeah. her feelings, and is like, "Cry, feel it. Don't let them tell you to not cry. Don't let them tell you to forget." I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't stop crying." She has a really good little monologue about grief where she's like, when I lost my husband, there were a lot of people that were just like, they tried to help me forget. But, you know, it's been 20 years and I still choose not to forget because, you know, this person's memory is more important to me than not being sad about it. I could be not sad about it by not remembering, but, you know, then not remembering doesn't do them any justice. And I would rather have that memory and be sad than not have that memory and, you know, pretend like it's not there. This is absolutely a good movie to introduce children to grief with. Yeah. It handles it well. Because, like, they they are so close with each other, Uh, Jesse and Leslie, to the point where it's like, you can't imagine them living life without each other and so that sentiment is carried into the characters as well where if i think they can't live without each other clearly you know like a thought for jesse could very easily be pulled out as like i life she made my life worth living and now she is not here so like what's the point and i I, and that movie kind of answers that question in Like, you know, you're still a kid. You still have Terabithia. And so he builds the titular bridge to Terabithia. A nice-ass bridge that I'm like, okay, you're like, what, eight, ten years old building a bridge that looks like this? He's a sixth grader, so I think he's like 12. Okay, 11 max. (laughs) Um, And... Yeah, it was a very well-built bridge. And I'm like, there's no way he knew he needed that kind of support under the tree as well. That's not the point, though. Uh, And so this bridge to Terabithia kind of symbolizes, like, we can still carry on without her while still having her with us. And I think that that is a very good sentiment. It's very beautiful. I And, like, (laughs) they put all of the CGI budget into the last five minutes. For real. Now, if you want me to start critiquing this movie, I can do that because I feel like this movie 
didn't want to double down on the concept of them seeing their imagination. Yeah, they wanted it to be fleeting. until until like the last, like you said, the last five minutes. Um, because there's just like whenever they go to Terabithia, their imagination is integrated into the real world. <laughs> but like, there are some moments where it feels like they cared more than other moments. Yeah, absolutely. Like there a lot where they like well, I kinda liked it how, you know, they like interwove like the fantasy with reality to like show it from the imagination side versus what was actually what they were actually seeing in reality. But I feel like them saving that for like the last five minutes was because in that scene, Jess is introducing his younger sister Mary Bell to the world of Terabithia so like they kind of pulled out all their stops to be like this is a whole new world for you to experience young one who are now a princess of this world are you ready for my hottest take are you ready for my hottest take of this movie yeah what's up I understand that she was incredibly well intentioned however Mary Bell did have it coming 90% of the time yes because she's a child. <laughs> like, she's a child. There were, so, there were so many instances where I'm like, I understand you're a kid. However, your brother did tell you to not proclaim about your Twinkies because you will get them stolen. And then she gets them stolen, comes back to him, and then gets upset when he's like, I told you what was going to happen. What did you expect? Like, again, I understand you're a child, but... It's fr- it's frustrating to watch happen. Some and lessons just have to be learned the hard way. Yeah. And even at the end, when Jess is grieving and he's standing at the fallen tree leading to Terabithia and he goes across and Mary Bell follows him, even though she shouldn't. And th- there's a point where I like understand that Jess should not have pushed her. And I and I understand that. And she just wanted to help her brother. But, like, it was dangerous. She knew that. He told her that. He also told her that he didn't want her there. So, like, yeah, he's going to get a little upset when when she goes out of her way to put herself in danger and, you know, disobey. Or not disobey, but just, like, go against her brother's wishes. Because it's the fact that when, 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 so, like, when he, when she gets stuck on the log because she can't get across because it's dangerous and she's too little. He goes into big brother mode first, saves her, and then gets her back to the other side and is like, go home. I told you I didn't want you here. You almost got hurt like I said you would. Please go home. And then she's still not listening. And that's when he rightfully gets upset about it. But he starts calm. Yeah, so... I understand that Mary Bell is supposed to be kind of like the audience surrogate for younger kids. I think she's kind of supposed to be the reason why things get explained emotionally, at least. Um, But there's still a point where I'm just like, you are here in this movie just to create problems. So I think it's I think it's just more of a I have a problem with how that character was written because she caused more problems than the relationship with her brother. I don't want to say warranted, but like it was disproportionate. It felt 
Like, you knew those were your dad's keys. Exactly. Like, you knew that you were going to cause some trouble, and you still did it anyway, trying to be a big kid. Um, but maybe it's because I'm 15 years older than her, and I've lived life, and I get it. <laughs> could be. Could be. So what's your rating for this one? I think, I think this movie does a great job in the third act. I think there's a part where we, tra- when we're transitioning from like the first to the second, where we're kind of like, where we're asking ourselves, what is the point of this movie? And even if this movie doesn't have a point, it's okay for a movie to not have a point if the yeah. movie is allowed to just be fun. But I think outside of the distinct relationship, between Jesse and Leslie, there wasn't a lot of fun outside of that. No. So I think uh, there are some parts of this movie where it's like, all right, I'm ready for the good stuff to start happening. Um, so I think this movie gets like a 7.25. That's exactly what I was going to say. For the, for the exact same reasons. And I feel like it would be a little lower, but their portrayal of grief in the process of grief is definitely what gives it that extra little bit. Yeah, absolutely. This movie is like, it's not perfect. It's not bad. It's like, it's good. It's for children. It's a really good kids movie. Like I am, hey, if you've listened to any permanent good, you know (laughs) that I love talking about, I, I, I really don't like the concept of kids movies. The fact that like any movie that is animated or any movie that has a kid in it, automatically gets like categorized into this kids or kids only yeah bucket i am willing to say this movie is for kids yeah like like adults can get something out of it but i think the reason why we are rating it as highly as we are is because we first saw this movie when we were kids exactly so we do have that nostalgia factor for it. And so I think that if you were 25 and watched this movie for the first time now, it's going to be 90 minutes of like kind of absently, just like absent kid stuff. And then 20 minutes of like heart crushing grief, which is kind <laughs> of a shocking dichotomy for so a you movie. Buckle right up. So that that's why I'm, I'm good with saying a 7.25. Definitely. Agreed. So now we're going to move on to Hoot, which mm, (laughs) this one was, let's just set expectations right out the gate. I did not like this one even a little bit. I loved this movie when I was little, but now watching it as a whole adult, I was cringing through 90% of it. Now, this movie as far as 2006 is concerned, has a pretty stacked attack. I mean, actually, not even as far as 2006 is concerned. It's more stacked retrospectively, yeah. right? Because we got Logan Lerman as the lead, okay? We got Brie Larson as the female lead. Luke Wilson is in this. And then Tim Blake Nelson, let's not forget who was the psychologist in Holes, is also in this. The janitor from Scrubs, Neil Flynn, he's in this. Clark Gregg, who was Agent Coulson in the MCU. like, And then uh, Cody Lindley, who was the Hannah Montana love interest in Hannah Montana. Like, there's a lot going on. And Jimmy Buffett. And Jimmy Buffett. And, Can't forget Jimmy Buffett. And Mr. James Buffett, 
who not only wrote a bunch of music for this movie, but was also just in it. You know, cash. Keeping it yeah. cash. Also, and he's in this movie in the most Jimmy Buffett way stuff in the most Jimmy Buffett way possible, which is he is a middle school teacher in Florida, <laughs> and you would not be able to guess by the way you look at him. He teaches like earth science or some nonsense like that, and he talks about the wind and palm trees with a half open Hawaiian shirt and cargo shorts. Because it's and you're Jimmy like, Buffett. Yeah. Um. So how how old is he would have been 60 in this movie when he was in this movie, which like fair. You're not that old. You can you can still mess around a little bit. Um, Yeah, this movie is the biggest problem with this movie is that it's boring. I just think that it's cringy more than anything (laughs) because they're like, okay, it's just a more retrospectively cringy plot line because when i was little i was like oh my gosh i want to be environmentally conscious and friendly and save the animals as they are and now i'm like wow they did some really cringy things in front of crowds of people yeah it's pretty wild so this movie is 90 minutes long and the whole plot is logan lerman uh went moved from montana to florida and he, they find the the short version is there's a pancake house trying to build a new pancake house on a field there are owls in the field and the kids want to stop the construction so they don't destroy the owl's nest that's the short version and it gets so much more complicated than that yeah and for like no reason and, and when i explain the plot to you like that you're like well why do we need all these actors I just named. And the answer is, you kind of don't. Not exactly. You don't. This was just all of their starting point, I believe. I have a question, though. Go for it. Do you think that Greta Thunberg watched this movie and then was like, you know what? I'm going to be an environmentalist. (sighs) I hope not. I hope she got her inspiration (laughs) from somewhere better. (laughs) Hey, for children, though... For kids, kids ate this movie up. Yeah, I guess. Um, There's a lot of kid humor in this movie. And also a, a, a weirdly large amount of regional specific humor. Like, I feel like a lot of this movie is targeted specifically to the Floridian fan base. Um like Cody Lindley's character is named Mullet Fingers, not because he has a mullet and also has fingers, <laughs> but because he would reach into the water and then just grab a small fish with his bare hands. And the fish species was a mullet fish. And so he was called Mullet Fingers because he would just, with his bare hands, grab a fish out of the lake. You know, cash. Also, the way this movie treats mullet fingers like he's a phantom from the 1940s is such a weird tone for them to take with this character. Yeah, they like take him because he got sent away to military school by his step by his mom or whatever, who's like Brie Larson's Beatrice's character stepmom. They did a really bad job at explaining their family tree. Yeah, but 
he was like the long lost child whose mother hated him so he got sent away to boarding school or military school where he ran away and now is living in a boat at the age of what like 12 13? something like that and also from what i understand he wasn't gone long like he was only gone for like maybe a month or two and they treat him like an urban legend <laughs> like, like who is this barefoot child running amongst our city destroying construction equipment it's a child it's a, it's child. a child you're fine and why isn't anybody looking for him? That's the thing. Is he's like, is anybody looking okay. for me? And they're like, no. Yeah, because if he escaped from a military school, they'd notice. They would notice and they would let someone know. In fact, they'd probably let a few people know. Yeah, unless, I mean, unless Beatrice is involved and she's fielding all the calls and being like, oh yeah, I'm his mom. She does not seem capable enough to do that. They got away with pretending he was Roy while in the hospital. By, I would say, a significant amount of sequences of luck. Both of them did, I would say, as much <laughs> as they could to hinder their own plan several steps along the way. Okay, but it would have been the same for us at that age. The things that we tried to get away with and had the same ideas for, it was bad. I'm not saying it's an inaccurate interpretation of you know, childhood life in Florida where you're trying to be an environmentalist. This movie just has, this movie has big adults don't get us energy. Yes, absolutely. And uh, maybe, I think I just don't like that tone, but I don't know, maybe I, maybe I finally, you know, turned the point where I am now the cynical adult and the these movies are supposed to be made for me to learn something from. Or... It's just not a great movie. I knew I knew very early on that I was going to have a rough time with this movie because the movie almost opens with uh, Luke Wilson, who is a police officer, showing up to the construction field for this pancake house. And Tim Blake Nelson's character is like, someone defaced my property. They dug up the stakes and they filled the holes with concrete. And Luke Wilson is like, okay, in order for me to do something about it, can you give me an approximate monetary value in what they destroyed? And he goes, no, you don't understand. They didn't destroy anything. They just, now I have to go and redo all the surveying. And I'm like, hey, my guy, labor costs money. <laughs> you can tell him the labor report and how much that would cost. In fact... I would do that first, even before the monetary value. So your labor has a monetary value. You know that, right? You know that your labor is monetary value? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a communist. Uh, but also, from the rest of the interactions you have with his character, you know he's not the sharpest tool in the shit. So yeah. he probably doesn't. <laughs> it's just, it felt like a very weak character introduction for both Luke Wilson and Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson's character never redeems himself. And I would even say that Luke Wilson doesn't either. He's just kind of a thorn in this movie side. He He's not on anyone's team. He's just screwing up and having to deal with the consequences and like never comes back from it. Do you think this is in the Tim Blake Nelson universe? Do you think this is before or after Holes? 
This is after. Do you think he's coming? Do you think he's going from this job to pretending to be a doctor of the mind? It could be because he lost his job because they decided that they weren't going to build the pancake house there. And he was trying to get away with it. So then he's on the run from the law. And then he has to go and pretend to be a doctor where he's having these kids dig holes because he's haunted by the holes of the owls. I think it's vice versa. I think it, you know, he's on the run from the law, from the consequential fallout of holes and being like, I need something where I can work by myself and not have a huge paper trail construction. I, they, he doesn't get arrested in this one, but he still loses his job, but he actually gets arrested at the end of holes. Yeah. I'm just saying that if, you know, if Cody Lindley can escape military school for this I imagine Tim Blake Nelson can also get away from whatever he was doing. I don't know. I think my plot is pretty solid. I mean, okay, sure. Thanks. You can- <laughs> um, I don't, I don't even know what more to say. Like you said, this movie's like really cringy. I, I want you to expound on that because I feel like you're going to have a better time explaining it than I will. Well, okay. First of all, let's focus on one of, my favorite aspects of this movie and that is the 2006 fashion this is the most 2006 fashion in a movie that you will see brie larson and all of her friends have about 80 different hair ties in their hair and they're all different colors if you google disney channel red carpet you will get like a like that's what we're talking about here yes the layered clothing the, the ripped jeans, the ripped jeans with a nicer top or the T-shirt with nice bottoms like that weird kind of like clashy, classy kind of thing. That's what she's working with. That's what they're all working with, really. And then you just like they, the guys are in the classic cargo shorts, very Florida or basketball shorts, still very Florida. And it's just. A very big throwback to how I used to dress in 2006. <laughs> yes, yes, that is correct. <laughs> I would say maybe even all the way through like 2011, you might have dressed like this. Yeah, absolutely. Probably. <laughs> Probably until like 2013, you know, whatever. Let's I was giving you the it. benefit of the doubt. <laughs> you know, I had restrictions on my fashion decisions. And I also think the cringiest moment of this movie does come from the climax, which is just, it sucks. It sucks. It's so bad. It's Be- so awkward. So there's like a 10 minute montage before like the official final moments of this movie where Logan Lerman or where the team, I guess we could call them, is trying to gather the paper evidence that the Pancake House knows about the owls in the field and are choosing to deliberately construct over their habitat. It's like a montage. They don't say much, and it's and it's boring. Uh, and then Logan Lerman goes to his class, where, let's remind you, he is the new kid and was relentlessly bullied, which we will circle back to, don't you worry. Um, and he goes... Can I make an announcement real quick? And Jimmy Buffett is like, sure, I guess. And he's like, guys, 
I know you don't like me very much, but after school, come to the field out back. It's very important. And then he just dashes off. No explanation. That's it. <laughs> it's not even the field out back. It's come to this construction site where they're building this pancake house. And then he runs off. And it's awkward. But then it gets worse because once they actually are all there, they're Which, like, let's be clear, would never happen. No. Never. Ne- the, it, it, if the strange new kid ran into my classroom and was like, hey, meet me at the construction field, I'd be like, no, I have to go play Xbox, actually. I have I have plans. Exactly. And, like, then once they get there, it's, you know, they have the evidence. They've planted the evidence on a tied-up what's-his-face, Craig, what's the actor's name? Clark Gregg. On a tied-up Clark Gregg, they paste this sheet from the environmental report that they were trying to hide. Then Luke Wilson finds it, and then he's out there trying to stop him from using the bulldozer to still bulldoze over the owls. And then Cody Lindley, Brie Larson, and Logan Lerman are standing in front of this bulldozer like (laughs) they're standing in front of him. And they're like, guys, these owls live here. They're real. And he's like, no, they don't. Yeah. They abandoned it. And they're like, no, if we're all quiet, because all we do is make noise. So if we're all quiet for 60 seconds, they're going to come out and you'll know that we're right. And he does. And he does a countdown, too, which I think is the cringiest part was like, yes. OK, ready? Three, two, one, go. And then there's silence. For too long. Too long. They used that entire 60 seconds. And you see these owls, you know, kind of crawl up from their hole and everyone loses their minds. Right. And and Logan Lerman's and Logan Lerman's giving this monologue, you know, like these owls are freaking who's from Whoville. Like they're just really small. You have to trust us that they're there. And then finally, these owls come out and everything's fine well the owls come out and then clark greg is like i still don't care i'm gonna do it anyway and that's when luke wilson like arrests him for realsies and and they don't follow through on the construction plans and it's just it sucks to watch and be a part of (laughs) it's just very awkward and very cringe and you're like all right the small time heroes won like we knew they would but there's not like, other than, like, it gets donated as an owl sanctuary, and they're not building the pancake house there anymore, but, like, Mullet Fingers doesn't get any resolution other than the fact that he won this battle. He's still- Yeah, doesn't he doesn't hide. get to come home. No. They're still hiding for him, and he's- all the kids still have to worry about their bullies at school. Yeah. So, so let, let's let's circle back to that. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode- uh, all of these movies deal with a, a theme of bullying, and this one I think sucked the most. Just in general, be, not even from like a I feel bad for this kid, but more of like a are these bullies even trying? Because as I said, Logan Lerman moved to Florida from Montana, where he you know his family was on a ranch, and. So he got adopted the nickname, not Cowboy, but they had to go one step deeper and they called him Cowgirl. Really stick it to him. Ooh, you showed him who's boss. And and that's kind of like the main bullying is just everyone's like, hey, Cowgirl, hey, Cowgirl, hey, Cowgirl. And I think someone smushes his face into a bus window or something like that. 
I the don't bully care. does. Yeah. That's, that's when he first sees millet fingers is when he's getting his face shoved into the window on his first day of school because people notice, oh, this kid's new. I'm going to just approach him and immediately bully him. Yeah. And I think Bridge to Terabithia had a very similar scene of, you know, in this one where Logan Lerman is stepping onto the bus and everyone's kind of like trying to take up as much space as possible so that he doesn't sit next to them. And... The bullies are like, he can't sit next to anyone. We're going to use this opportunity to make it worse. Did you ever see a new kid in school get treated like that? If anything, they were put on show and everybody was like trying to get them to be their best friend. Yeah, all the new kids. I mean, I I think there were a few exceptions. But as long as you were like socially tan, like socially adept enough, you were like, You had your choice on what social group to join. And very rarely were you judged for it. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah, there were a couple kids who kind of like slid under the radar, but I don't think anybody was. Especially in middle school. Yeah, especially. So, I mean, I don't really know what else to say. No one is like good or bad in terms of acting in this movie. I mean,. Logan Lerman and Brie Larson grew on to be professional actors, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone else is just fine. I thought Luke Wilson's character was really annoying. The fact that his main character trait was he was bad at driving a car. Like, it, it seemed... It wasn't funny enough to be how irrelevant it was to the movie. Yeah, it, he was just a very flat character overall. Yeah, because he wasn't funny he he wasn't smart enough he wasn't like good enough at his job but he wasn't also like stupid enough at his job either like he was just not good and there were consequences exactly i just i was really let down at going back and rewatching this movie because i like i said i loved this movie when i was little i watched this movie probably like 20 times sure and now nope the, the thing Bad. that I thought of, the thing that I thought the entire time I was watching this movie was how low the stakes were. And it's okay for a movie to have low stakes, but you gotta do, you gotta take advantage of your low stakes. This movie tried to make it seem like saving these owls was the equivalent of stopping a nuclear bomb, but they did it with the agility of a sledgehammer and the entire time i'm thinking is there not a nature reserve already that you can contact it's like these guys did no research on how can we officially help these owls and they went straight to vigilantism straight to vigilantism like that's a bit of a leap (laughs) so i thought the stakes were too low i thought the premise was kind of boring and and no one is funny enough to kind of make this worth it so as much as it kind of and i was looking forward to watching this movie let me be clear i don't know if you know this kind of a brie larson fan so (laughs) i was willing to go into this movie with a little bit of a subjective bias however this movie is in fact a four out of ten damn you're like i was gonna give it like at least like a five and a half six And you know what? You are more than welcome to. I really did not like this movie. Wow. The cynic in you is showing today, Gregory. 
I, I think I will show my humanitarianism a little bit when we pivot to Zathura here. Because Zathura rules. It's good and it rules. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's probably one of the best of the four that we watched. Yes. So, Zathura was original. You can tell. Hey, I'm going to say this and you're going to be like, duh, that makes sense. Uh, the script was originally specced as a Jumanji sequel. Space Jumanji! And the studio got, like, pretty far into pre-production. Like, they had people attached to it. And then they were just like, no, not Jumanji. So they just kind of pivoted it and just gave it, like, an original name, but kept pretty much all the same themes. It's sci-fi Jumanji. That's it. Is it sci-fi Jumanji? Which... I was here for. I love. I love this movie too. It has the beautiful Kristen Stewart in it. Love that. Love her character because she's the bratty older sister. <laughs> yeah. No. She. Uh, uh, this movie is super cool because family dynamics are portrayed so well. Like you have the the fifteen year old sister who thinks that she knows better than everyone else. And she doesn't want to get involved in cringy, stupid family stuff because she has a date at eight o'clock and she needs to be ready for that. Like you need to sleep until like six for that, you know? Yeah. Very, you know, stereotypical 15 year old girl. And then you have Walter and Danny, who are played by Josh Hutcherson and Jonah Bobo, respectively, Mm -hmm. who are like the the brothers. You have the older brother that's mean. And then the younger brother, that's kind of asking for it. And I mean, it's just I, the entire younger brother. The entire time I was watching this, I'm like, I have never felt so seen in my relationship with my brother as during <laughs> this movie here. I feel right? Because you have Danny, the younger brother, who is not as good at most things than his brother. So his brother gets a attention and validation through his actual skills and then Danny gets more of the emotional validation because his dad has to be like your brother's older than you he spent more time with this he's on a different life path you are the more creative one and so now now the older brother Walter is feeling left out because he doesn't have the emotional validation that Danny is getting. So they're both incredibly jealous for each of each other for getting the validation that they themselves are missing. And you know, that might say something to the parents lack of, you know, making sure children get equal validation of equal aspects of their life. Yeah, and I was really ready to throw this dad down the drain when this movie started. But because he's not he the was worst. Yeah, because the movie starts and he's like, all right, 25 throws with you, 25 throws with you. Now I got to get back to work. Like this kind of like weird, methodical, scheduled way of working felt like he was only being with his kids because he like had to. But you learn very quickly that it's kind of the other way around where yeah. he's only working on a Saturday because that's kind of his only option. And he does his abs. I think he does try very hard to satisfy the boy's social needs with him while also being like, okay, I need, can you just let me work for an hour? Exactly. All right. Like it's just an hour. And I know 
you know, your mom is coming to pick you up and I know you're not super happy about that, but you know, that's, that's how, that's how it's scheduled this week. Next week will be better. We just, we just got to make it through the next chunk. And he, and I, I, he tries to be rational with them, but when you are 10 and six years old, six and three quarters, sorry, six and three quarters, you, that rationale is lost very easily. Absolutely. And you know, also, I like how the main focus was on the boys and their relationship. Meanwhile, their older sister, who's also a part of all of this, is just up in a room being the moody teenager asleep at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> she. I, I, I think her writing was very good. I think yeah. this movie does a very good job at being like, this movie needs one more thing. Let's add that real quick. Because after the game gets started, like I said, very Jumanji, they draw, they they spin the wheel, they draw a card, whatever's on the card actually happens to them. So that goes on for like 40 minutes. And, and there's a point where you're like, okay, I'm kind of sick of them being in this house by themselves trying to like just running away from problems. And as soon as I had that thought, Dax Shepard shows up. Oh. And I'm like, oh, thank, thank God. And he's... So hot in this movie. <laughs> we'll say that. Um, if you are a Dax Shepard fan, you will definitely find him attractive in this. this is, is what like I will the, say. This is like one of the only things I do find him attractive in, but it's one of them. Yeah. Um, if you don't know Dax Shepard, he's a famous podcast host and nothing else. Um. Oh, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> he's also married to Kristen Bell. I think that's you're right. You're right. Famous podcaster and famous husband Dax Shepard plays an astronaut who was also playing the game and kind of got lost to time he's because Robin he Williams. wasn't. Yeah, he he gets Robin Williams. You're exactly right. Um, and so I think this movie is super cool because you get to see. I'm a big fan of games, and when games are brought to life, that just mm-hmm. like it's a it's a subjective interest of mine. So when it is done well, and it is in this movie, seeing a game literally brought to life, it's just it, it's an indescribable feeling that I get, where I just think it's cool. I agree, definitely. It's they just they did it well, like everything with this. With the context that it was and the time that it was made, they did everything, for the most part, really well, visually. Yeah. Oh, visual, visually, this movie is, like, still really cool. That's what I mean. Um, there is a scene where aliens board their house, like, they grapple their ship to their house and, you know, board the house and... The suits are really cool. Like the, this, the aliens are a mixture of practical and digital effects, but like they blend together very well. And what is practical still looks really cool. Absolutely. Like, and so these aliens are, are a lizard creature. And before you see their full body, you see like just the snout poke up from underneath a set of stairs and it's there for like 30 seconds in like this menacing quiet and all you hear is like the the hissing that the lizard does and because everyone's trying to hide from this alien and everyone's trying to be as quiet as possible with this hissing and slithering and everyone's just kind of like looking around like we might die here and it's terrifying yeah they're like don't 
make a noise. Don't make a sound while Danny is in a dumbwaiter about to go steal the game back because the aliens stole the game from them. And it's just a whole lot of intense craziness. And if I was a child and I saw all of that, I would be scarred for life. For life. The movie ends and all the kids are like, so we don't talk about this ever again, right? And everyone's like, right. And we're just like, no, therapy, actually. I'd be pulling a sandlot and making this a book. Um, now, as the aforementioned relatable little brother, I, I understand why Danny made most of the choices he made. However... As an audience member, it is so frustrating to watch him actively disregard pieces of information that are given to him because he gets put in the dumbwaiter, like we said, and he and it's like a stealth mission of him going down there because they need to go to the basement to retrieve the game that was stolen by the aliens so they can carry on playing and they get him most of the way down. The pulley system breaks. They grab it before it hits the ground. And Danny is just like, hey, I'm not all the way down yet. And just starts shouting at them. And then not only does he start shouting, he starts bouncing and rattling and shaking the dumbwaiter. And I'm like, Danny, my guy, how do you, how did you get into this situation and mess up every single direction you were given? Because he's six years I know. old. I, I know. I know. That, that's why I prefaced with I understand where he's coming from. <laughs> I get it. But as an audience member, it's uh, still annoying to watch. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's gotta love children. Gotta love them. Um, and so I think the <clears throat> the when Danny like goes into a situation incorrectly. I get that. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I bring it up just to kind of vent about having seen it and it making me uncomfortable. But the scenes that I thought were like, I don't want to say damaging to the movie. That's a pretty harsh word to put on it. But like really brought the tone down that I didn't really care for is how much useless shouting Danny and Walter did to each other. And again, I understand that is the brother dynamic. I lived that brother dynamic for like 12 years. But like the fact that Danny gets accused of cheating and there's like a 45 second sequence where all they do is shout at each other and not like chest shouting, like throat and head shouting, like like almost like like squealing at each other. And then Dax Shepard has to break them off. Like, guys, this is not the time for it. And then they're calm for five seconds. And then they start squealing at each other again. And then Dax Shepard has to be like, guys, quit it! And, and that, was, that, uh, that was my least favorite scene, was watching them have to do that. Yeah, that, was, that brought me back to my childhood. But then we get... So let's talk about this. Let's talk about... Sex? They pull the, no. Oh, my God. Okay. Craig, I'm putting you in the corner. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about... So, Dax Shepard shows up. He's this dude who has been playing the game. He explains himself. He's like, okay, I'm going to help y'all get back. Josh Hutchison, Walter, pulls this card after he gets a nine that's like, ooh, shooting star, make a wish. And they go to the window to make this wish because he pissed Danny off right after he got the card and Danny ran away, and so Dax Shepard and Walter are standing in front of this window, and 
Jack Shepard's character is just like, don't make the wish. Don't make the wish. Don't do it. I've been in angry and in your shoes before. And Walter, Josh Hutcherson's character is just like, uh, I'm just trying to make my wish here. Like, I know what I want. I've got this. So he makes his wish and then Dax Shepard freaks out thinking that he wished away Danny because he did that to his younger brother. But then, what, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, his little brother appears back and lo and behold, it's Danny and he's Walter. Yeah, that was... And this also all happens after, what, 45 minutes of Kristen Stewart hitting on him? Yeah, that was, I will admit, that was pretty funny. When Kristen Stewart realized that she was hitting on an older version of her brother, that was, that was pretty choice. That was funny. That was, that was a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, th- there are a few kind of like time continuity things that they don't fully explain. And I feel like this movie doesn't have to. They no. throw a, they throw enough like made up sci-fi mumbo jumbo to where he's like, I went through a time sphincter. And I'm like, you want to say butthole. um like i i went through time so that i could be here and then you kind of wonder like how did he go back through time to be in a game that like they're still playing like there's a little bit of like timeline messiness that i feel like could have been cleaned up on like another draft of this script but at the end of the day it's not really important you know you understand you go into a movie like jumanji and you're like man i sure hope they fully explain how they ethically bring all the animals back into the jumanji game you don't care right so if there's a little timeline messy i'm not gonna knock this movie for that you know, it might be there in the finer details that we just haven't paid attention to. Who knows? We're not yeah. so thorough super fans, but... <laughs> this is the first time I've seen this movie in a decade. Like, sue me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it, too. Um, th- There are also some sequences that I think maybe go on a little long. And I, I think it's just that just comes from a matter of, like, when you make practical effects so big, you have to commit to them. Like the the robot chase scene, I felt was a little long. The fact that he chases yeah. him like around the entire house like twice was like we can move on to the next thing now. We I think we've exhausted this one, and, and the fact that wh- and what are they called the Gorgons? Like the Gorgons leave and then come back, and I feel like that's like a. When a movie like this presents itself, I want it to do as many creative things as possible. So when a feature comes back, well, it might be more satisfying narratively. I see it as an op- I see it as a wasted opportunity for a new creative thing. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, they're they're Zorgons. Zorgons, sorry. I just wanted to, I had to Google it, but I just wanted, because I was like, it sounds right, but it doesn't. Because, you know, Zorgon, Zothura, they gotta keep the alliteration going, I guess. Uh, Gorgons were from Greek mythology. Yes, they were, they're, they're Medusa. We've spent too much time on this. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and, uh, you know, there's a sense of like also following the book, which I haven't read. So I imagine this is what happens in the book. Um. So uh, it's just like if I were to like rewrite this script, I would maybe add a few more pieces of just like sci-fi 
I don't want to say silliness, but just moments where the movie can let itself have fun in a sci-fi universe. I think maybe if there was a sprinkle more of that, I would have the points could be added for that. So what is your final rating for this one, Gregory? Um, I think like a seven and a quarter. I was gonna, I was gonna give it a solid seven. I think. Yeah, I I think this movie is super cool. Um, you get sick of the brothers bickering after a while, like, like really sick of it. Um, because there are so many like very brotherly things, right? Yeah, they keep that it very family dynamic. Yeah, and how older brothers. Little brothers do not, the last thing they want to be called is a baby. Mm -hmm. So older brothers go out of their way to call anything that that older brother does not personally enjoy made for babies. And that was like Josh Hutcherson's catchphrase for the first half of this movie. It's like, I don't want to play that board game. That's for babies. You throw like a baby. Your room looks like a baby's room. Like, shut up. Like, shut your mouth. From two younger siblings. That's yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like we're we biased. Or a anything. little biased. Hey, Andrew. I'm gonna make sure Andrew listens to this episode and be like, "Uh, hi, Andrew. Let's talk about family dynamics." Yo, Austin. Let's let's discuss. Hey, you should watch Zathura. <laughs> Shout out to our older brother <laughs> for terrorizing us. <laughs> yeah. Seven and a quarter. I- I'm confident with that. Um, I'm genuinely surprised that these movies held up as well as they did. Overall, they they did a very good. Who is the only one that didn't really hold up? Who? Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. I, I thought you were asking me a question. I thought you no. said. I thought you said who is the only one that didn't hold up, and I'm like, bug. We just talked about it. It was Hoot. <laughs> like, no, I, did you I forget said, already? Hoot. I'm, forget you gotta get those concussive consonants it was there i swear so next month next we are finally wrapping up our own personal star wars saga star wars sequel trilogy with my man sorry (laughs) adam driver let's be clear (laughs) i am not their man one might listen to this and be like i'm watching it with my man like nope no, no, no. I will be watching with my personal man, Jordan, probably. But hey, Adam Driver's gonna have all my attention, and Oscar Isaac, and <laughs> Daisy Ridley, and, and John Boyega, and John Boyega, and BB-8, and BB-8, and Carrie Fisher, and her daughter. I have zero idea what to expect going into this just like straight up because i have my i have my preformed opinions right yes like i i liked all three of these movies going into it so i'm kind of scared to rewatch them because they've all gotten so much online hate that i'm like am i gonna hate these two or am i gonna like the movies i already like i guess we'll find out next month on June Small and Tall. I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.